0: Welcome back to the Core EM Podcast, core content for anyone, anywhere, and just in time. This is the official podcast of the NYU Bellevue EM Residency Program. I'm Anand Swami Nathan. And I'm Jenny Beck So, Swami, how have you been? I can't complain. You know, it was fun uh, down in Nashville, spending a little time together, hanging out, grabbing a drink, and uh, doing a little learning at court. Absolutely. Learning, barbecue, good music. Can't complain. Yeah, it's incredible how good the food is in Nashville, right? (laughs) One of the most underrated cities to go visit, I have to say. So let's go ahead and let's drop into the core content for this week. What's on tap?
1: Everyone's absolute favorite topic. Sexually transmitted infections.
0: Oh, the real sexy stuff. Oh,
1: the sexy stuff. <laughs> so, Swami, we see a lot of these in the emergency department. There are definitely some shifts over on the pediatric and young adult side where it seems like absolutely everybody's got a drip or a discharge.
0: Yeah, and I, I'm glad that we specified that's pediatric and young adult where they're yeah, getting the sexually transmitted diseases,
1: okay? Up to age 25. I mean, it's New York,
0: 25. but, you know, let's be clear on that. So, I do not envy <laughs> the shifts over there. I remember doing that as a resident. It was not fun. But clearly, Clearly it's not just young adults. In 2015, the New York City Department of Health saw a 21% increase in cases of gonorrhea, 15% increase in syphilis in men, and a 12% rise in chlamydia cases in men. Now HIV rates, on the other hand, have been following. That has come down a little bit in the last couple years. The point is that these infections are common, and we need to know how to handle them.
1: The update this week we got from one of our PGY2 residents, Matt McCarty, and he focused on gonorrhea, chlamydia, and their complications, standard treatments, and expedited partner treatment. So let's start with gonorrhea and chlamydia.
0: In men, these are typically gonna present as urethritis, inflammation and discharge from the urethra. This is painful, and the pain is what brings people in for treatment. Now men can also get epididymitis or prostatitis from these infections as well. There's a bit
1: more of a spectrum for women. Women can get cervicitis or urethritis. Cervicitis can often be asymptomatic, but when it does present, patients will complain of pruritus, vaginal discharge, and bleeding between their periods. Pain isn't typically present in cervicitis, so if pain is there, you should suspect pelvic inflammatory disease. And the speculum exam will reveal a mucopurulent discharge. You've seen it.
0: Oh yeah, what about the pelvic inflammatory disease or PID? How is this gonna present differently?
1: So in PID, you'll have the discharge, but patients will also complain of abdominal and pelvic pain, and you can see adnexal tenderness and true cervical motion tenderness on your exam. In medical school, we're taught the chandelier sign, where the patient experiences severe pain on cervical palpation.
0: We covered TOA a bit last week, so we won't get into that too much here. But just as a reminder, patients with TOA are typically ill-appearing with fever and can even manifest signs of shock. These infections typically have multiple organisms growing but can spring from an STI. The key in TOA is thinking about the disease testing aggressively, CT is probably better than ultrasound, but we're usually going to start with the ultrasound and treating with broad spectrum antibiotics and getting your gynecology colleagues on board early. Jenny, let's discuss testing and treatment in suspected sexually transmitted infection.
1: Absolutely. So the most important thing is to test liberally and treat liberally. Missing these infections has a big impact on public health. In women, untreated gonorrhea or chlamydia can result in more serious infections, as we've already discussed, as well as infertility. For men, the test of choice is urine PCR. It's easy to get and it doesn't involve the uncomfortable placement of a swab into the urethra. For women, it's a bit less straightforward. So since these organisms can cause both urethritis and cervicitis, a urine specimen may not be adequate. A vaginal or a cervical swab is definitely the preferred test.
0: What about the oft written about self-administered vaginal swab?
1: Yeah, I've seen this as well. So basically, you ask the woman to perform the swab herself and then you send it off. Most if not all of these women when they come into the ED are going to get a speculum exam since seeing the discharge is really the way to diagnose an STD or STI. So I don't really see the reason to have the woman do it herself since you're going to do the exam, you might as well just collect the
0: swab yourself at that time. Agreed. This may be something that is more likely to be used in the outpatient setting, not really in our setting. Now, are we going to wait for the results of the swab of the urine specimen before we treat the patient? No, no, no. I do not want the patient in the ED for a couple of days.
1: (laughs) (laughs) If you suspect that the patient has either gonorrhea or chlamydia, you're going to just test and treat simultaneously. The test may not be resulted for a couple of days and you don't really want to rely on the patient abstaining from intercourse while the results are pending and then coming back ultimately
0: for treatment. Yeah, that makes sense. You're asking sort of a lot of someone to uh, come back to the emergency department for treatment in a couple of days, and we don't want to miss treating these patients. So we're going to treat and we're going to test for both gonorrhea and chlamydia, because clinically it's impossible to distinguish the two. And what's our treatment going to be?
1: For urethritis in men or women and cervicitis in women, the treatment is going to be ceftriaxone 250 milligrams IM and azithromycin 1 gram orally. The ceftriaxone covers the gonorrhea, and the azithro covers the chlamydia. If you're going to get pimped on this, people, what I was told was to remember it's a gram for the clam.
0: (laughs) That's a a good way to remember it. Yeah, someone's going to pimp you on
1: that. If the patient has an allergy to cephalosporins, you can either use azithromycin 2 grams plus either gemifloxacin 320 milligrams orally or gentamicin 240 milligrams IM. The problem with both of these substitute regimens is that 2 grams of azithromycin is highly likely to cause nausea and vomiting, so just be
0: ready for that. Yeah, I would definitely recommend pre-treating that patient with an antiemetic in these cases. I've never seen anyone take that 2 grams of azithromycin and not feel like they were going to throw up. Now also remember that having a penicillin allergy does not preclude the usage of a cephalosporin. The best data that we have shows that less than 3% of patients who say they have a penicillin allergy actually have one, and that cross-reactivity between a penicillin and a third-generation cephalosporin is virtually zero. How is the treatment for PID different than the treatment that we've just discussed? So here you need a bit longer of a course.
1: Still give the ceftriaxone 250 milligrams IM, but you're going to add doxycycline 100 milligrams orally twice daily for 14 days. Additionally, in PID, you should consider adding metronidazole 500 milligrams orally twice daily to cover for bacterial vaginosis.
0: Yeah, we didn't talk much about BV, but I think it's becoming more and more recognized that this can coexist with the other more classic STIs and that we should consider treating everyone with a vaginal discharge for it. Trichomonas is another bug that can coexist here, and typically both BV and Trichomonas will have a gray-white discharge, so very hard to differentiate. Now, a wet mount will show you clue cells in BV and trichomonads and trichomonas. And this is great to know for the boards, but totally impractical for actual practice of emergency medicine. Most of our departments don't have microscopes anymore. Actually, ours was removed by the Joint Commission because nobody was taking care of it. And we're not doing wet mounts on a frequent basis. Fortunately, metronidazole covers both of them. What I think we see from time to time is women who come back with what looks like recurrent infections, and it's actually because we haven't treated the BV or trichomonas that they actually had. Now, some patients with PID are going to have to be admitted. So how do we decide which patients need to stay in the hospital?
1: So if the patient is pregnant, if they failed outpatient management, if you're concerned that they're not going to be adherent to their antibiotics... If they can't tolerate oral medications or if they've got a severe illness, they look like they've got something complicated like a TOA, then they definitely should be admitted. Complicated PID is typically when there's a pelvic abscess, like we said. So if the patient has more significant PID and they need to come in, the preferred regimen for your antibiotics is going to be cefoxitin 2 grams IV every 6 hours along with doxycycline 100 milligrams orally or IV every 12 hours.
0: Before we finish up, let's touch on expedited partner treatment, or EPT. This is basically treating the patient in front of you, and then instead of simply telling them to send their partner back for treatment, we give a script to the patient that we have in front of us and say, give this to your partner so they can be treated too. Now, the CDC has some great information on this, and basically they state that the available evidence shows that it's more likely partners get treated with EPT as opposed to simply getting them referred back to the emergency department. Now, you can't give someone a script for ceftriaxone IM in hand, so we can substitute cefixime 400 milligrams PO times one.
1: It's hard to remember all of these dosages and antibiotics, so we'll drop a table for you uh, from the CDC that details all the treatment regimen options along with alternatives. We'll put that in the show notes. All right, so let's wrap it up with some big take-home points. First have a low index of suspicion to test and treat STIs in the ED. This doesn't just benefit the patient, but it's a public health issue as well. Second, for gonorrhea and chlamydia, the treatment of choice is ceftriaxone and azithromycin. Don't fool around with fluoroquinolones as their efficacy is terrible. In PID, just replace the azithra with doxycycline. And then last, expedited partner therapy is something to consider. It's definitely more effective than referral, but the best thing would be to have an accepted system in place in your hospital hospital to make this happen.
0: Great. So another great set of take-home points for us this week. That's all for the Core EM podcast. Come on over and check out the site at coreem.net. We've got a ton of great core content emergency medicine. We'll have a core post up this Wednesday on hypercalcemia and a journal update on the using skin glue to secure peripheral IVs on Thursday. Visit us on Facebook and like the site. Visit our Google Plus page and follow us on Twitter where our handle is at core underscore EM. Thanks, and see you all next week.